The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Also, church, uh, we want to run some growth groups soon. So if you'd like to be in a, a group to, uh, to fellowship together, either online or maybe outside somewhere, uh, we strongly encourage that. So write in. Um, let us know you'd like to be a part. We'll get you plugged in. But our text today is Revelation 1, verses 1 to 8. Uh, hopefully you can find that book. It's the last one. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Let's hear the word of God together. Verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you for the blessing of your Holy Spirit as we consider uh, your incredible word together. Lord, please help me to teach this faithfully, clearly, and Lord, may it have its intended effect on all who hear. Lord, save sinners that they might know you as Lord, Savior, and uh, encourage your people, Lord, to live faithfully in these times. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is a dangerous business trying to predict the future. Human beings aren't always very good at it, and the ramifications can be painful. I read about a man this week named Ken Olson, founder of Digital Equipment Corporation. And this is what he said in 1977 regarding computers. He said, there's no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. Today we might be able to think of a couple. It's hard to predict the future. How we see the future has ramifications for how we live today. Consider uh, this tweet from the World Health Organization. This was January 14th, 2020. They tweeted, Preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found 
No clear evidence of human-to-human transmission of the novel coronavirus. Hmm. We might have liked to have had that one nailed down a little sooner. Here's another prediction of the future that deeply affected how people lived. In the 19th century, Karl Marx had some optimistic predictions. He said that following the proletariat's defeat of capitalism, a new classless society would emerge based on this idea. From each according to his abilities to each according to his needs. In such a society, he predicted, land, industry, labor, and wealth would be shared between all people. Harmony would reign and the state would simply wither away. We can wonder if he would have been surprised to know that in 100 years, the communism he inspired would have resulted in the deaths of 100 million people. See, Marx was desperately and horribly wrong about the future and how to live accordingly. And the price in human suffering was immense. So do you see? It's hard to rightly understand the future, and yet it's so important that we do so because how we view the future has massive implications on how we live lives today. How we see the future unfolding deeply influences how we live our lives in the present. Your understanding of what's coming influences what you will be doing. And that's why it's so important that we open the book of Revelation together. Revelation is God's definition on the future and on how it should influence the lives of his people today. So this morning we're going to be looking at the introduction to this book. And I want to see three main things with you. First of all, let's consider some of the background. We'll think of the author, the audience, and the purpose of writing this letter, this revelation. So we'll see the background. Also, I want to just think about two principles I think will be really helpful for reading and understanding this book appropriately. So the background, some principles, and finally, number three this morning, we'll think about the call of this book. What is the main thing we are meant to do with it? So three things this morning, background to Revelation, some principles for reading it, and the call it gives us. So number one, who wrote Revelation? Well, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, the author introduces himself. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. It's interesting to note, he just says, John, there's no other descriptor. So that means he expects to be known. And the testimony of the church fathers is plain. This is the Apostle John. John was a friend of Jesus. He wrote an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus, the Gospel of John. And as, a, as of, of course, as a church, we recently finished working through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So the Apostle John wrote this book. When did he write it? John most likely reported his vision in the late 90s, around 90 A.D., uh, the church father, Arrhenius, tells us that John beheld his vision towards the end of the reign of the emperor Domitian. And we'll, we'll see that under the reign of Domitian, the religion of emperor, emperor worship was growing as cultural expectation. 
And this meant there was massive culture, cultural pressure on Christians to compromise, if not deny their faith as Christ as their faith in Christ as Lord. In fact, in verse 9, John tells us he's been exiled for preaching about Jesus. Can you imagine that? Being forced out of your home, out of your land, out of your community to live somewhere else entirely simply because you were faithful to the message of Jesus Christ. So that gives us some important information regarding this letter and how it works and what it's about. We see the Apostle John is writing revelation for Christians who are under great pressure to compromise or deny the faith due to cultural expectations. So John's the author of Revelation, but John himself is emphatic that actually he's simply a messenger. He's not the ultimate author of Revelation. Even John the Apostle would have no ability on his own to accurately unfold the future. No, John says, this revelation is from God himself. And as you follow, especially verses 1 to 2, you see an amazing chain of communication. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. And so we see that revelation is from God the Father to and about Jesus. Moreover, it is as John says in verse 10, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it's from God, to God the Father to Jesus, inspired by the Spirit through God's angel, finally, to John. That's an amazing chain of communication, and this is what John is saying. This book is not simply another human speculation on the future or how we should live. This is God's word. This is God's revealing of the Lord Jesus and what it means to live in the light of who he is, what he has done, and what he will do. This is God's word and God's perspective on our times and how we ought to live in them. God's perspective for us so that we can live appropriately now. So the author of this book, God's Revelation, through the Apostle John, around the end of the first century, for believers living under pressure. Uh, what's, what's Revelation mainly about? Look at verse 1, the first phrase. And this is so important. Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget it. This message is from Jesus, and this message is about Jesus. It's about the fact that Jesus is the Christ, God's exalted conquering king. Jesus reigns. Jesus will return. These are two uh, incredibly important themes for us to, to, to hold fast to when it comes to living life and when it comes to reading Revelation. Verse 1, the text says, God gave him, Jesus, to show his servants. And then this phrase I want to point out to you, the things which must soon take place. Revelation is about the things that must soon take place. These are things that compose the context of the lives of God's people in trial and difficulty. This is the setting of, God, uh, of the lives of God's people. And here is one thing that they must know in this context. Look at Revelation 1.5. Jesus is the ruler 
of the kings on earth. Notice it didn't say one day Jesus will be the ruler of the kings on earth. No, right now, Jesus is the ruler of the kings on earth. So here's what you need to know. These things that must soon take place, these things that give the context of our lives, they are under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ as king. Jesus is king right now. Jesus reigns right now. Jesus is in control. That's the first thing to see in this revelation of Jesus Christ. He's king and he reigns now. The second thing to see is at the end of verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. Then this next phrase, for the time is near. The time is near. Well, the time for what? I want to take you to the very end of the book now. Revelation twenty-two, twelve. Listen to what Jesus says. Behold, I am coming when? Soon. Bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. So uh, I've done a deep study of the book of Revelation, and I want you to know I've discovered when Jesus is coming back. And you know when he's coming back? Here's the answer. Soon. He's coming back soon. This was true 1,900 years ago for the Apostle John and the, first, and the church of the first century. And it is true for us today. Because in God's plan, there are two major issues for his church. Number one, even in these times of trial and tribulation, Jesus is king now, both in judgment and in mercy. These are the things that are and must soon take place. Jesus is king. And secondly, his return is impending. It is coming. He's coming back soon. This is the next major event of God's redemptive plan of history. Jesus has come and lived and died and risen. He reigns now, and the next page will turn, and he will return. Revelation is about Jesus Christ. He's king. He reigns now, and he will return. And he's the one we want to see as we study Revelation. It's his rule and his reign we want to understand and live under as we study Revelation. And it's his return we anticipate and we hope in as we study Revelation. This book is about Jesus Christ as king. So here's what we've seen. It's from God through John for the church under times of pressure. It's about the present reign and impending return of Jesus. And what's the goal of this letter? Well... We see verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. So, first of all, this is to his servants. That's a term for who we are as Christians, isn't it? There's a lot of, there's a lot of names we have in God's word. We're God's children. We're the bride of Christ. But we're also servants of God. And that reminds us of something. Our lives are not ultimately for ourselves, it's not ultimately my dream or my purpose that's important. We exist for him. We are his servants. And we exist for his glory. 
And this revelation is for people who want to live in such a way that they are servants of God. This is meant to give you what you need to be a faithful servant in these times. We see that in verse 3. Look, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and blessed are those who keep what is written in it for the time is near. We are to take the message of Revelation to heart. Yes, we're to think about it and understand it. We're to meditate on it. We are to obey it. We are to live it out. Imagine uh, you go to your doctor, you get a prescription meant to help you, meant to heal you. Imagine then you come home, you take your prescription, you frame it, and you hang it on the wall. That's what one pastor said Christians tend to do with this book. We read it a little bit, debate our theories on dates and time, leave it hanging on the wall. But verse 3 shows us this is something that is meant to be ingested. This is something that is meant to be trusted and obeyed. This book has practical implications for how to live right now. And we'll be blessed as we, if we take it that way. If we hear it and are moved by it and are changed by it and motivated by it. Because remember, knowing the truth about the times is useless if you don't live accordingly. Knowing the truth that Jesus reigns and he'll return is useless if you don't take it to heart and live accordingly. And so this verse tells us we will know and experience God's blessing, God's grace, God's faithfulness to us as we trust and obey this word. So we're still just working on the background. This is the word of God through the Apostle John. It's about Jesus Christ, his present reign, his future return, and it is for the blessing of his people who will take it to heart and live accordingly. That's just part one. Now part two. Two principles for reading Revelation. The first hint I want to give you, and I think it's so important, is just to let you know that Revelation expects you to read it biblically. It expects you to read it biblically. I know folks are intrigued to read Revelation and think about the events of the future as they read this book, but Revelation is clear over and over again that before we look forward, we must look backward. And here's what I mean. Scholars estimate that as many as 278 out of 400 verses in Revelation contain references to the Old Testament and that over 500 allusions to Old Testament texts are made in total. That's over twice the amount of all of Paul's letters combined. And so we see that Revelation is built upon and stuffed with the Old Testament. Revelation sees itself as the ultimate fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's Daniel part two. It's the answer to Ezekiel, the answer to Jeremiah and all the rest. So before we look forward, we've got to look backward. We've got to understand these Old Testament allusions. That's also part of the difficulty of reading these books. It's in that word allusion. What's an allusion? Allusion with an A. It's an expression designed to call something to mind without mentioning it explicitly. So allusion is like a, is like a picture. Revelation is like a bold painting built on the images of the Old Testament. Let me give you one familiar example. In Revelation chapter 5, we're going to see Jesus. 
And we see him in two ways. We see him as a lion, and we see him as a lamb. As you read that, what is that supposed to mean? Well, a lion, that's an allusion to Genesis 49, verses 9 to 10. John doesn't say, as it says in Genesis 49, 9 to 10, Jesus is a... No, he just says, I saw him like a lion. And so it's this picture of who Jesus is. As we go back and look at 49, 9 to 10, we see that means Jesus is the conquering king from the tribe of Judah who will reign forever over all the nations. Oh, this picture of lion. We see Jesus as king. But there's another picture of Jesus. He's also a lamb. He's a lamb. What does that mean? Well, we think uh, there's scads of Old Testament texts about this. We could see him as the Passover lamb from the book of Exodus or the, the, the substitution of the servant for our sins in Isaiah 53, all wrapped up there together in this illusion, this picture, this Old Testament image. Jesus is the lamb of God. And, and friends, Reve, Revelation is built on this. Hundreds and hundreds of these. Let me give you some examples. Just in chapter 1. Just in chapter 1, in chapter 1, verse 5, John alludes to Psalm 89, 27, how the Messianic king will inherit the earth. In Revelation 1, 6, John alludes to Exodus 19, 6, about the nature of the people of God and who they are. In Revelation 1, 7, John has in mind Zechariah 12, and the nations overwhelmed by the return of Jesus. In Revelation 1, 13 to 15, John has in mind Daniel 7, 13 to 14, how the Son of Man will reign and uh, return and reign victoriously. And in, in Revelation 1, 16, John's thinking of Isaiah 49, 2, the sword of truth in the servant's mouth. It goes on and on and on and on and on. That inspires Greg Beale, a commentator, to say this. These are important words. Beale says, The simple yet amazing fact is that God chose to convey these, image, these visions to John in the best way he could have understood them, by using the language of the Bible. Everything God has given in Christ can and must be understood against the backdrop of the Old Testament revelation which not only points to Christ, but alone makes it possible for us to understand who he truly is. Beale continues, Most people take Revelation as a springboard for looking forward. However, without first looking back to the Old Testament and seeing what it meant in John's time, then moving forward from there to the present, we will not properly understand what it has to say about the past, the present, or the future. So friends, read Revelation biblically. Look back before you look forward. Unpack the Old Testament allusions to see the truth of what John is saying. So read Revelation biblically. One more clue for reading it well. Read it symbolically. Read Revelation symbolically. Let's remember the point of reading the Bible or any book really. The point of reading is to discover the intended meaning of the author. We want to know what the author meant to say to his original audience. Only then can we appropriately apply it to ourselves. Here's the problem. If we take something literally that is meant to be symbolic, we can get things dreadfully wrong. 
Imagine I say to you, hey, can you get me to John Wayne in your Mustang? What if you brought over a horse, put me on the saddle, and led me to the grave of a dead actor? Uh, you would have missed the point entirely. What I meant was, drive your Mustang, your Ford Mustang, to my house and take me to the local airport. That's a big difference in meaning. We don't want to take something literal to be symbolic when it shouldn't, but we don't want to take something symbolic to be literal either. And I'm pretty sure Jesus himself gives us a clue that we ought to read Revelation symbolically. Uh, look at verse 1. In the ESV, it reads like this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. That phrase, made it known, the Greek word underneath that phrase can very well mean he signified it. Or even the idea of he gave a sign of it. Remember in the Gospel of John, John loves signs, miracles, pictures that show who Jesus is. The King James Version translated this verse like this, Revelation 1.1. He sent and signified it by his angel and to his servant John. Some commentators are sure that this even refers to Daniel chapter 2, verse 45. Do you remember how God told Nebuchadnezzar how all the nations would come and go? It was with a picture of a statue made of different metals at different places. And so God signified this communication. He communicated symbolically so that we might understand what is taking place. We want to read this letter, letter symbolically unless told not to. Because if we take symbols literally, the more and more we do that, the more Revelation reads like a crazy fantasy novel that has nothing to do with your life. So you may have heard of the witnesses in Revelation 11. Two witnesses. They've got fire that comes out of their mouths. mouths. They're killed by a beast and then they rise. See, that's literal. So as fascinating as that will be to watch that on the news, it has nothing to do with your life other than, you know, grab some popcorn. This is amazing. But if you read it symbolically, you begin to see the intensity and importance of your life today. What if this is a biblical illusion and what if we as the church are the prophetic witnesses of God's word? Is not God's word like fire? And will he not use it to judge the nations? And what if, as we are called to be faithful witnesses, it will sometimes get us in trouble to speak that truth? But even if it kills us, the beasts, the nations that hate the gospel, guess what? We will rise. And you see that reading it symbolically doesn't steal the meaning away. Oh, no. It shows you the true meaning of life today. That's what these symbols are meant to do. This is what Dennis Johnson says in his commentary on the book of Revelation. Johnson writes, One of the key themes of the book is that things are not what they seem the church in Smyrna appears poor, but is rich. Sardis has a reputation for life, but is dead. Laodicea thinks itself rich, 
But this church is destitute and naked. The beast seems invincible, able to conquer the saints by slaying them. Their faithfulness leads even to death. That faithfulness, however, proves to be their victory over the dragon that empowered the beast. Do you see? The symbolism shows you the truth of how God views things right now. Read Revelation biblically, we'll understand the images. Read it symbolically, and we'll understand what it means for our lives now, even today. So here's where we've been. We've seen some background of the book. We've seen two clues for reading it well. Read it biblically. Read it symbolically. Now let's look at the main calling of this book for our lives. We'll start in verses 4 to 5 now, and I want you to see the blessing God's people receive uh, in light of his faithfulness. Verse 4, grace to you and peace from him who was and is and is to come. There's the Father, right? Our sovereign, eternal Father. He was, he always was, he is now, he is to come. He's eternal, he's unchanging, he's sufficient. Reality is from him and in his hands. Our God is unshakable, inescapable, undefeatable. That's who he is. Do you see his faithfulness? That's who's blessing us, giving us grace and peace. Moreover, in verse 4, grace and peace to you from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now we face our first test. Seven spirits. If we we see God the Father, and then we're going to see the Son, so the middle, that's the Holy Spirit, but seven spirits. Well, you read this literally, and we're in trouble. We've gone from being triune to being, I don't know what the word is, for a nine-inity. Father, Son, and the seven spirits. But no, 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 we're not supposed to read this literally. Friends, Revelation loves a symbolic use of numbers. Loves it. We'll see that. Did you see in verse 4, John is writing to whom? Seven churches that are in Asia. There are seven literal churches. It would have been a circular letter. He would take the letter to each church. Each church would hear the entire letter. But seven in Revelation is also so symbolic, and it means fullness. It means completeness. What if we were to see the Spirit like this? Seven spirits for seven churches. Or to read it symbolically the way it means to be. Seven churches is the universal church, which means the Holy Spirit is with every individual local expression of the universal church. He's with us. Later in chapter 1, we'll see that the churches are lampstands. What were those when the Old Testament, the lampstand, would be in the temple? would signify the presence of God with his people and his glory shining. And if the church is to be the lampstand, the spirit is the one who anoints the church and enables the church to be who she should be. She makes us glow with his fire. And so we see with the powerful symbolic language, the sufficiency and the presence of the Holy Spirit with his people. He's with every one of his local churches. He's with the entirety of his church. And he is sufficient to encourage us, to build us up. We're receiving a blessing from our faithful God, our sovereign, eternal Father, the sufficient Holy Spirit, and the reigning Jesus Christ. Look at Jesus in verse 5. This is from Jesus Christ, 
the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth. We remember Jesus was the faithful witness. He came as a man and he told and lived the truth about God. He was faithful to the end. Let me ask you, where did that lead him, his faithful witness? Did it lead him to the praise of the nations? No, it led him to a cross. He died for being a faithful witness. But more than that, we know he was dying for our sins. And he is now alive. And he reigns, as this text says, as the firstborn of the dead. Psalm 89, the firstborn. He inherits the earth and all the nations. He is king. And as the firstborn, the first to be resurrected, he is the first example of the new creation he will bring and all his people will share in. As the, he's the first to rise and all his people will follow him. He reigns now for us. He will return for us and we will rise as he has risen. Do you see the faithfulness of our God, our eternal father, the sufficient spirit, our reigning king, Jesus Christ? Look at verse 5. To him, this is praise, to him who loves us. Do you know that right now? He loves us. And what's the greatest picture of his love? Look at the gospel, verse 5. He loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Jesus took the penalty of our sin for us in our place. If you're not a Christian today, you are invited Repent of your sin, your rebellion against God. Look to Christ. He lived a perfect life for you. He'll give you his righteousness so that you can be accepted by a holy God. Look to Christ and his death. Trust him. He paid for your sins. You can be forgiven. Look to Christ and his resurrection. Follow him as your king. He loves us. He's freed us from our sins by his blood. That's past tense. We have been set free and it's done. Nothing can take that or steal that. And not only have we been saved from the penalty of our sin, we've been saved from the power of our sin. All who trust Christ will be transformed. Look at this identity we have in 6, verse 6. Jesus has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. What an identity. Jesus reigns now, and his people are the picture of his reign on earth. Right now, he reigns in our minds and our hearts according to his word, and we show what it means to have Jesus as king in this life, and we do so as priests, offering worship to our Father and mediating his truth to this world that needs him so desperately. Look at this blessing of our faithful God. Look at what he has done for us. Our eternal father, the sufficient spirit, our savior and our king, the Lord Jesus. He's made us a kingdom of priests. So John is saying to the church, as you see the faithfulness of our God, may that motivate you to live faithfully now. May that motivate you to live faithfully now. What does it mean to live as faithful kings and priests? Well, it's to be a faithful witness as Jesus was. It's to be a faithful witness as Jesus 
was. Remember, back in the first century, there was immense cultural pressure for Christians to compromise their faith, to not live accordingly to the word, or to deny Jesus totally. And this is what Jesus says to them in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Revelation 2, verse 10. This is what Jesus says. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus was the faithful witness. It got him killed, but he rose from the dead. And like our Savior, we are called to be faithful witnesses. Despite the cultural pressure, we are to faithfully live and tell the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done and the reality that he will return. And we can know from this book and from experience that as we live as faithful witnesses, that will get us in trouble. We will face hard times, maybe in some cases, even death. But if you see what Jesus is telling you in Revelation, just as he was the faithful witness who died and rose again, so we who are faithful to him and overcome, we will rise as well and share his new creation with him forever. Do you see that how you view your present and your future determines how you live today? If you see the sovereign, loving faithfulness of your God, our eternal Father, our sufficient Spirit, our Savior and King, the Lord Jesus, if you see his love for you and his calling on you and how he owns history and history is in his hands and you can trust him, that will give you the power to live faithfully no matter the cost in your times, our times, today. We can be inspired to do this no matter the cost, because Jesus is coming back. Look at verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. He is coming. Why does he say it like that? He is coming because it's so near. It's so close. He's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. What is John doing? Well, you see a, a fulfillment of Daniel 7. Jesus is the Son of Man who will reign over the nations forever and ever. He's coming. You see a fulfillment of, Zach, of Zechariah 12, where those who see Jesus coming back wail and grieve his return. Why the grieving? Well, in one sense, uh, those who have trusted in him we've already wailed and grieved over our sin and we've looked to him and we anticipate jesus coming in mercy to save us but in another sense when the nations see the return of jesus oh no will come out of them oh no because the one they've rejected will be seen to be the conquering and judging king he will come with his judgment on evil he will come with his judgment on the rebellious that's why john says even so come this is going to be overwhelming but even so we need this come so revelation asks the question 
you know now what the future brings. And here's the main event. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Are you ready? If that sky cracked open tomorrow, are you ready? Will you say, oh, this is scaring me, but I know him. <laughs> I'm trusting him. We're good. I'm a royal priest of his. Not perfect, but it's real. That's me. Are you ready? Have you trusted him? If you're not ready, trust him now. Now is the time. That's what now is made for. Trust him so that you can be ready. But another question is, are those in your life ready? Are you a faithful witness to them? Have you told anyone lately of the gospel and how Jesus is coming back and people need to be ready? Are you willing to tell the truth as it is? The people are sinners, but Jesus came as a substitution for sin and died on the cross, and he is the perfect way, the only way, the exclusive way to salvation. Are you ready to tell him? Are you ready to tell him that he reigns now and we want to live as servants of his because of his love for us? Are you a faithful witness? There will be a cost to it, but we can do it because of who our God is for us. Verse 8 I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He's Almighty. No one can steal you out of his hand. He knows his plans for you, he's in complete control of every situation. The more you see the sovereign, loving faithfulness of our God, the more you meditate on how Jesus reigns now and will return, the more you trust in the gospel and what he has done for you, the more you can live faithfully for him now, no matter the cost. And that's what Revelation is about. That's the call to God's people. So we see God has spoken through John to his people facing pressure to compromise the faith about the impending future. This is what we must know. Jesus reigns now and will certainly return. Our Father is sovereign. Our, the Spirit is sufficient. Trust God's sovereign love and care and live as faithful witnesses no matter the cost because Jesus is king and he's coming back. When? Soon. Let's pray. Our God, we love you. We worship you for being eternal. Holy Spirit, we praise you for being with us, for building us up as your people, your temple. Lord Jesus, we honor you as the faithful witness who died for our sins, who rose from the dead. We trust in you and your love. Lord, for anyone who doesn't know you, let right now be the time the Spirit draws them to trust Christ and know salvation from sin and a new identity to be a royal priest or priestess belonging to the Father in heaven. And Lord, may our vision of you grow to such grandeur that we have what we need to live faithfully in these times, faithfully to you no matter the cost, because you're our king and Jesus is coming back. Do this work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. 
For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.